Welcome to another episode of Back to the Pictures, the movie review podcast by three uni friends taking you on an adventure through time and space, not to be confused with a popular Einstein theory. Rather, we're discussing an error in our lives where we had an abundance of said time and space. The three of us lived, studied and raved together as Manchester students from 2005 to 2009. And when we couldn't be found at legendary Manchester venues such as M2, Font Bar, Subspace, Popolinos and God forbid on campus doing work, we could be found at home watching the shit out of a ton of movies. And over a decade later, we have regrouped and rewatched many of the films we viewed together during those uni days. And we want to see what makes them different, what makes us think, what is it about them that speaks to our existential and cynical selves now in our 30s. Follow our journey as each week we resurrect, review and reconsider motion pictures, movies, films, flicks, features and pictures from a simpler time. My name is Ben. My theory on feds is treat them like mushrooms. Feed them shit and keep them in the dark. Rose? I'm Anton. I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Ogundimu? And I'm Ian. There's one thing I worked out in prison. It's that my hand does not shake. Green. Oh, that was a really good one. <laughs> that was a really good one. It was a good one, it was. So tell me, Dr. Green, where are we going this time? The year is 2006, and the movie is The Departed. The Departed. The Departed. You've got to do it in the accent. You've got to do it in the accent. The Departed. The Departed. The Departed. The Pied? The- is that the departed? Departed. I've got to admit, they nailed the Boston the Boston accent in this, and you you know when you think, oh, they may forget it or they may leave it. Nah, nah, just nailed it. Just nailed it. The entire film. Uh ninety-five percent of the cast did. We'll come back to that. True. Because <laughs> I got a bone to pick. Anyway, the uh, yeah, The Departed, the 2006 epic film. It's it's just epic. The genre is epic, and I'm not saying Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, Ben Hur, Zulu epic. I mean Beardman epic, mealtime kind of epic, and it clocks in at an unbelievably lean feeling, 150 minutes. And it was released on October 2006, and it had a total gross of 291.5 million against a production budget of 90 million. And it appeared on a who's who of top 10 lists of the year. And uh, the movie is known for bagging Martin Scorsese his first Best Director Oscar, but it was so belated, no one really gave a shit, including him. Pretty much, pretty much. Half that, half that budget, ninety-five million. Actors' wages. I believe it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Actors' wages. Ooh. Sure. Yeah, have you seen the cast? <laughs> I, I did notice them during the film. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Why don't we play that trailer? When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? This is not the regular police! This is the state police! We are an elite unit. This is who we're after. Frank Costello. You won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. So what do I do? 
You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. You have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Do you know who I am? Maybe not. I'm gonna have my associates search you. That was quick. Think he's dead already? Get your hands off me! I think we could work something out. We are all convinced that Costello has at least one mole inside the Special Investigations Unit. There are parts of my job I can't talk to you about. Man, you are trouble. You don't know the half of it. You better get organized, quick. Hey, last time I checked, I tipped you off and you're not in jail. Getting the feeling we got a cop in my crew. Soon a lady's gonna find out who I am and he's gonna kill me. I can get the rap. You just gotta let me do it my way. If you don't, it won't be me who pays for it. There's a leak from the inside. It's real, man. Smoke him out. You're lying to me. There are things you don't want to know about. What are you waiting for, honestly? I mean, do you want him to chop me up and feed me to the poor? Is that what you guys want? How's your brother? She's on her way out. You all are. Act accordingly. This is the point where we warn you, moving forward, spoilers come quicker than the main character stepping off an elevator only to rest. Oh, wait, that's a spoiler. Just, they come fast, okay? <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, so, let's start with the cast. I... I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I genuinely don't know where to start. Um, let's just start at the beginning with um, a guy who my 14-year-old self would have called Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and From that, the Titanic days. And that is why teenage school kids don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Absolutely. Because if any one of us had even bothered watching What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which was out at that time, we'd have seen him for what he actually is. Oh, yeah. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, this fucking guy, he is the poster child for an actor. Yeah. He never misses. Yeah. Absol- absolutely nails it. Absolutely nails it. Just, you couldn't, well, there's, a reason, there's a reason why Scorsese works with him and keeps working with him. 100%. He, um, his superpower is playing the most complicated and compelling characters and he and weave them through these fuck off intricate plots explaining the shit out of everything that's happening and he does it so convincingly you never feel like you're being spoken at it's so funny because in a weird way right you you probably shouldn't root for him in this film but because of the way he plays him and he gives such a human factor to every single one of them because the funny thing you know he did Blood Diamond not far off around the same time as well yeah same thing and it's almost a weird way how two characters who in essence are almost kind of the same personality wise and he, but you can still see the differences and you can still see Leo in them it's crazy Bro, oh, he, he absolutely nails it you shouldn't um, you know you, you shouldn't really be cheering him on in Catch Me If You Can 
Exactly. But you but do. There you go. Exactly. Exactly that. And exactly in, that. It, you know, take Inception, right? He's a thief who steals secrets using dream sharing tech, if that's if that's what it is. And he's given the near impossible task of planting an idea in someone's mind, which is really fucking invasive. It's pretty much like rape. I mean, you can't. Yeah, absolutely you actually can't get more convoluted, uh, at least at first glance, than his character. What was his name? Cobb. Yeah, Cobb in Inception. He has mm. to explain the rules of that world, his character's murky as fuck backstory. He's got to keep it vague enough for us to question his reliability as a narrator or seeing it from his point of view, but not let us get bogged down with the exposition. He has to convince us there is every chance that they're in a dream, but also get us invested as if it's absolute yeah. reality. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so true. But the funny thing is, I mean, what, I mean that's in such itself. The, the amount of layers in this film, like rewatching it, and it's just like, if, if, someone, if someone told me Departed was convoluted, I'd give them a slap, but then I'd agree with them mm. in, in certain, to a certain extent because I do, get, I do get that. But, and again, it probably is down to people like Leonardo DiCaprio, probably Costello, and in a weird way, probably, probably random supporting characters like, like Queenan, Martin Sheen, just the way that they allow you to almost kind of be like a compass as to, oh, okay, so this is what's happening. When we were kids... He was the scourge of the movie verse. You absolutely right. Hated him. <laughs> you, you couldn't get over his face. Every every single female that you knew just wouldn't shop about him. <laughs> I remember one girl in particular that every guy had a crush on her, who had him on her school books, on her wall in her room, or so she said. Uh, then the role suddenly reversed, and he became every adult male's most serious, talented, and enjoyable actor. And I imagine, I imagine what happened. And it happened to other actors like, I don't know, um, Matthew McConaughey, right? They were young, hungry, talented, but their agents told them that, hey, fuck you, this is 1997 or whatever. Tom Hanks gets the roles you want. Yeah, man, Je- you're pretty. Jeffrey, Play the pretty yeah. boy. Jeffrey Rush is the Oscar darling. You know, Ed Norton is ahead of you in the line. You need to wait your turn. Your job is to sell posters to teen girls. So we got the impression. <laughs> you know, but seriously, so then we, we get, you know, most blokes get the impression that this guy from the beach and like Matthew McConaughey from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days weren't serious actors. But they were. They just didn't. It wasn't their time. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And think about it. Titanic won 11 Academy Awards, which is the joint most ever for a film in history. And DiCaprio wasn't even nominated for best. Yeah, actor. exactly. Really? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Need to go back and watch Titanic. I think. Don't wait. Titanic is a fucking phenomenal film. It's been eighty-four years. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that one casting choice. <laughs> and it could have been a lot worse if you've seen the alternative ending. Oh, there is something. Well, yeah, what, what, yeah, there is well, something it, about that. It, no, it's, it, it's not. That's not as fucked up as it sounds. It's not like they. they, they the ship actually no. survived. <laughs> it, no, it's it's what it's happens to the old lady in the end. What does she does, do? She, she, so oh. in, I don't know if you remember, but in the original ending, she has the diamond and she's yeah. alone from the stern. In this ending, she's got the heart of the ocean in her hand. She's about to drop it, but then somehow. Bill Paxton and the one who was playing her granddaughter see her and they run over and they're like, no, don't do it. And she's like, don't, I'll drop it. I'll drop it. Don't you come any closer. And it starts to become like a negotiation. Like, 
it really is like the worst. As in the film Titanic from from the the, the period of the ship taking off at, from Southampton to you know it's sinking. The film was fantastic. The bit with older Rose is cringy. Yeah, I thought you was going to see her like the black pearl comes up and she has to spend the rest of her days. I thought she just she just takes a swan dive. See ya. I'm going to be with Jack. Jack, what? Jack Sparrow or? Ian, do you have anything else to say about Leonardo DiCaprio? I hated him during the Titanic times. I don't know why, but I always liked him in Crick and the Dead, and I liked him again in. Everything after you re-liked so Titanic, I guess. Actually, I didn't like him at the beach. I really wasn't into. I the hated beach. Romeo and Juliet. I loved Romeo and Juliet. I fucking think it's great. Oh, Mercutio, yeah, Jesus. Mercutio made me shed a tear. He was underrated in Critters Three. If only I could. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could understand a fucking word they're saying in Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> well, you've been using that. I bite your my thumb at you for years. You don't even know what it means. To be honest, it's kind of the same with the Parted or this Boston, Boston accent. And getting, getting your car. Getting get your car. It's a Southie. Kind of supper. It's a Southie like you trying to be a stadium. Yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, there's so much slang in this that you've got to kind of... I've got to admit, like, uh, when we do these films, I tend to kind of whip on the subtitles so that I don't miss anything. And it is. it was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot there that I kind of thought. Yeah, they're literally just saying stuff, <laughs> so it kind of kind of made sense eventually. Jack Nicholson as Frank Costello. This was his last big film. Really? Yeah, before retiring. Um, it wasn't his last last performance, but it was his last big film. He he mm. retired a few years later, and his reason was that he kept forgetting his lines and he didn't want to tarnish his legacy. Wow. Mm. So he was a generational talent. Obviously, felt that he had outlived his usefulness. And wow. deactivate himself, which you got to give him props for that. I wish more actors would go gracefully I mean, I mean, yeah, into the yeah. Well, or, or at least go out with a bang and not tarnish their legacy for the most part. But yeah, it's, it's true though. It's like I can even even in this particular role as well. Like he nailed it for for me. Right, it felt like watching a calm but more serious Joker at certain parts. Uh, I don't know if obviously so that was just because it was Jack. Absolutely. I don't know if it's just because it was just Jack Nicholson, but literally, and again, sorry to jump ahead, but like even the point at one point, you know, when obviously he gets shot and there's blood in his mouth, and I was just like, he's even got the red lipstick. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and it literally was. He just, it just, it just seemed like if Joaquin, if not, uh, if not, um, uh, no, Joaquin you. Phoenix. Um, what's his name? Oh no, sorry. Yeah, uh, it is Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it is Joaquin Phoenix. If Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix's Joker got old. This is what he'd be like. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Like, um, what you it, mean? You mean not if Jack Nicholson's Joker got old? <laughs> <laughs> Jack Nicholson's Joker is old. Okay, right. Jack Nicholson just looks the same age no matter what. <laughs> um, I don't. I've gone back because I was thinking the same thing as well. I was. I, I yes, I thought Joker vibes, and then I was trying to. Trying to remember if I'd ever seen Jack Nicholson in a film where he doesn't play someone really bizarre and macabre. And I, I don't know if there is a film exists that I haven't seen, but, you know, The Witches of Eastwick, Batman, Wolf, The Shining, even One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's always playing, like, some kind of weird, eccentric... Even Anger Management, which is a comedy. Like, 
as as good as it gets about Schmidt, he's always playing a nut job. Yeah, I think that's just him. So you were you were saying that he's playing the nut job, but I've seen Jack Nicholson live at Lakers games, and I can tell you he was during <laughs> directly from that experience, <laughs> and channeled it completely into this. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the hair, the crazy yeah. eyes, like I'm pretty sure this was just Jack on a bad day. Honestly, yeah. Some... The one thing the film does a great job of though is not glorifying him. I think they they really? did a great job. Oh, the language they meet, you just like him. No, right but like, what bat. about with the in the porno theater scene? I mean, he's funny, and I I don't know what point they I don't know if they decided to change it as they was going through it, but because he is, you know, an alpha, and he is, he has so much power. He's a funny character, but there are points the way he speaks really makes you dislike him. Like he just sure. Yeah, I'm saying the, the comedy aspect that he brings to it, it kind of takes you out of it a bit like when he's jacking off and he's pretending to jack off with the dildo I, I think but that, that's, it, that's, it, that's his character though. he's a mobster he, he said so himself in one point he says uh, I can't remember he said something I can't remember what he says but he says it's like, I'm, not, I'm, not that, I'm not that guy you know what I mean? in, a, in a way he basically mentions or talks about the fact that He's not the person to kind of shy away or back away. Yeah, so I need you to call it. In it, I can do what I want. Mm. I'm gonna do what I want, and if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna jack off a black dildo, I'm gonna jack off a black dildo. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I Because mean? they um, seem to have like a downward spiral, in my opinion, for, for his character. For a hundred percent part of that, he start. They start showing him doing his own drugs, which they didn't show at 100%. the start. So you don't show him as like a consistent user, and then his personality starts changes and. The amount of cocaine. The amount of cocaine this guy throws around. Don't move. Don't don't stop till you're numb. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he actually yeah. makes cocaine. Yeah. Like, I, I look at him like, well, it looks very Moorish actually. <laughs> <laughs> Again, gonna sprinkle on my, I'm gonna sprinkle on my coffee. If you've ever seen Jack at a Lakers game. <laughs> <laughs> You know how LeBron James starts. <laughs> he is the there is all the powder in the air. He, he, he is the guy that would say, "I paid ten grand for these seats. I'll go out there and launch a three if I want." Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's so true. It really Lucky. is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. That's brilliant, Mad yeah. Damon as uh, Sergeant Sullivan. Uh, Colin, is it? Yeah, Colin. Colin Sullivan. Yeah. In another performance Colin. that is kind of revealing in how underrated he can be sometimes. Brad Pitt, who quietly yep. produced this film, yep. was set to yep. play Sullivan. Yep. And he actually really? backed away. Yep. He actually backed away and he said he, he said a younger a younger person should do it. You gotta give him credit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know Al Pacino was gonna, was was the first choice for Costello. I thought the I thought the really? role was written for for with Nicholson in mind. He was he was the second choice, and then they had to convince him <laughs> eventually. Wow. Yeah. So he's the second choice. Oh, uh, I don't think Al pa- I think Al Pacino would hammed it up worse than it'd been it'd been it'd been a bit probably a bit too much. Like yeah. there's a there's a vulnerability in a weird way, or should I say I don't know humanity or normalness to Jack Nicholson in a weird way that kind of works for this. You believe he's kind of as crazy as, but at the same time. Like you said, it's it's Jack at the Lakers game. <laughs> do, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, that kind of works. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg giving an Oscar-nominated performance as Dignam. Do we go into this now or do we wait? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, they, that guy, literally, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to put it out there, best lines in the film. Like, one-liners, yeah. the guy absolutely destroys it. And it's, I don't know about anyone else, but the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, look, cool, it's Mark Wahlberg. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, it's Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> that dude, like, you know, you just don't, you don't really kind of expect it of him. Yeah. I, I, do you know what I mean? But, like, yeah. He, he's a massive star. Massive, massive star. Massive uh, A-list, you know, big blockbuster, popcorn blockbuster, right? I... If I were him, and someone was like, "Yeah, no, there's this." Okay, yeah, it's Martin Scorsese, so obviously you've got to pay the respects. But you know, it, he probably didn't. He was like, "Oh, that's a side character, really. I'm, I'm a, I'm a main leading man. I don't want to be a side character." And then they they put the script in front of him, and like after reading a couple of lines, I'm like, "I'm in." Yeah, absolutely. I'm fucking for sure. in for sure. Because you know, this, this this is a far shout from fucking Transformers. <laughs> Seven or eight, whichever one. Oh, Daddy's home too. <laughs> Uncharted. I, I imagine yeah. there as well with uh, Matt Warburg though, with it being set in Boston, and it having some relation. I know it isn't based on the character, but having some relation to the history of Boston. Well, it's surprising probably. how the, how many people are actually kind of linked to Boston. Like again, Matt Damon himself born, grew up in Boston, so mm. easy accent transition. Mark, Wal- Mark Wahlberg himself. Funny enough, Scorsese said <laughs> that Mark Wahlberg transitioned to his Boston, Boston accent so hard that they're probably going to need subtitles to listen to him. <laughs> Which yeah. is so true, because I needed subtitles to hear him. Martin Sheen, who... I know you guys never really watched it, but for me, he'll always be President Bartlett from the West Wing. Last person to sign up on the film. Okay. Really? Last person, yeah, last person to sign up on the film. And he signed up because he would, when he just really wanted really to Really needed the money. Oh, okay. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie's eating him out of house and home. <laughs> Someone's got to pay for that crap. <laughs> what is it about that guy that makes him so lovable? You know, whether he's playing Uncle Ben or the President of the United States or Queen and here, you just, he just, has you just want to, yeah, you, you just feel safe. He's just that stately, that stately, wise demeanor. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You feel like he's honest without even hearing him speak. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Just a crazy mm. cast. Ray Winston. Alec Baldwin's character was amazing as well. It was like the mature Dignam, but just kind of ruffled with it. And, and at one point, you could tell, right? The whole scene, I'll just say, where he's just like, how's your mother? <laughs> She's tired of fucking my father. And you can see Alec Baldwin, because it cuts away, and it cuts back to Alec Baldwin. You can see him like smirking. He's just like, yeah. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I want to shout out Anthony Anderson as well because Anthony Anderson playing Brown, you know, the uh, the um, other, I think he was a lieutenant, a cop underneath yeah, Matt Damon, but then, but then where? But then went with, um, but also went to Academy with Leonardo DiCaprio. Sure. Just because for me, he will always, always be Teddy from Hangtime. And it's just oh, crazy yeah. to see Teddy from Hangtime be serious and just come, like, he's come up. He has come up. I am really, I was really glad when he got blackish. It launched yeah. him as a leading man. Like yeah. before that, he, he was still. I think as I, I would always remember him from me, myself, and Irene. Yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, he was yeah. brilliant in that as well. Uh, but otherwise, he was only getting these spit parts. Like yeah, he was in Scream yeah, exactly. Four, and it was like such a minute throwaway role. I'm like, this guy's so talented. Yeah, he really is. Really is. And Vera, she whose name I can't pronounce. From Famiga. Famiga. She was fairly unknown to the masses at this point. Nowadays, she pretty much does whatever she wants. The Conjuring, Orphan, Source Code, uh, Godzilla. She's she's a remarkable actress. I yeah. fancy the pants off her, actually. 
There are so many people in this. Even Mark Ralston, the, the guy who, like, Mark Ralston, and Kevin Corrigan, who literally plays the same guy in everything. He he's does, just, doesn't he? Cousin, cousin, he literally is. That guy, if he, if someone told me he was really in the mafia, I'd believe it. Because he, that, that's, that's the only role he knows how to play. The Departed. The Departed. The Departed. It's, uh... The Departed. It's obviously a... It's a Catholic saying, dearly departed, but it's also a semi-euphemism for a dead person. Mm-hmm. And on that subject, this is this film is really vicious with Irish Catholicism, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it, apparently, one of the themes running through it is all about Catholic, Catholic guilt. Sure. <laughs> like, wow, okay. Really? Um, well, Ian, come on. Like, There's an allusion to the priests and choir boys. Like, he uses the Neil Stan, Neil Stan joke, if you like that kind of thing. You know, that dig. Sullivan gets squeamish that you can see the church from his balcony. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Costello is... Costello is often framed as the devil, literally. You know in those scenes where the classical music's playing and he's lit in red, tinted red? Yeah, pretty much. And then there's Cope and it's powder, but it looks like smoke. Even where... the fact that he picked out Sully, uh, or Sully uh, Colley, Colin Sullivan, from, who was literally um, a, an altar boy. Yeah, literally picked him up from the church, and then she thought, "Okay, I'm going to use this kid and put him in the police, in the in, in the cops." Well, as we all know, this film is based on a, another film series, well, a, a trilogy of films called Infernal Affairs. Infernal Affairs. Uh, the first one was 2002. It's a Hong Kong action thriller, and I've got to say, I've got to be honest, it's a much more appropriate name, as it's like a yeah. cool spin on internal affairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a phrase which is obviously looking for a corruption in. Yeah, uh, policing bodies and governing bodies. Yeah, it's the same. I haven't seen. I haven't seen all of the Infernal Affairs, and, and it almost kind of felt like, you know, like you kind of needed to watch them for this as well. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the funny thing is, one, you couldn't, and two, Scorsese refused to watch any before he finished his film. Oh no! Really? So wait, he how watched, did he come he, up with? Wait, he watched Infernal Affairs after he finished making the film. So what? He read. He read the script that had been adapted. Read the script, knew it had been adapted, and refused to watch any of Infernal Affairs. And just like the script um, from William... Is it Monaghan? I can't, I can't remember his name. Yeah, William Monaghan. Uh, the script from them, and literally was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. Let's make it from that. Well, it, did, it, it won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, I think. There you go. Yeah. So when did we watch it? We went through a phase where we were watching really good movies. We saw Brick... And then we saw Inside Man, and then we saw this among a slew of others. We almost forgot mm. that we have a predilection for dick and fart jokes and superheroes. <laughs> True. <laughs> I, yeah. I walked out of the cinema saying that I just saw my second favourite film of all time. I truly love this film. I was so shocked yeah. at certain scenes, like the, the, the emotional attachment that they managed to get like i was drawn in and sold with some of the characters Man, that you know for me because obviously you everyone knows my because i didn't i didn't actually see this in the cinema with you guys i ended up watching it on watching it again like i think maybe you got like the the dvd i think ben again mm. and we watched it and i think because obviously i remember i distinctly remember you know you know you know like you were kind of sat there not even watching the film just watching me yeah and i was just like what is what is good? Oh! <laughs> I was just like, you know, yeah. that th- that entire. I used to do that a lot. <laughs> two minutes. Yeah. It's just. What? 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 Mm. 
What? <laughs> it was like the original Red Wedding. Mm. Oh it. my god. Red Wedding, Dead Wedding. Dead Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Something with ice and a bit of beheading. Oh, but how did you know that? The, you, you, the, you've seen the, the um, Children in Need Children sketch. in Need, yeah, sketch. For, oh, for, yeah. For Game of Thrones, the musical. Yeah. And they got Chris Martin to do the music. <sighs> Jamie Lannister's Jamie Lannister's song is still like one of my favourites, in my opinion. He absolutely, I can't remember the guy that's his name. He nails that. <laughs> my favourite bit is where he's like, um, thank you, Jon Snow. It's Kit. Thank you, Kit Snow. You <laughs> 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 In South Boston, Colin Sullivan is introduced to Irish Bob... Let me start again. In South Boston, Colin Sullivan is introduced to Irish mob boss Frank Costello. 20 years later, Sullivan has been groomed as a mole inside the Massachusetts State Police, the MSP, and joins the Special Investigations Unit led by Captain Ellaby. Another recruit, State Trooper Billy Costigan Jr., is approached by Captain Queenan and Staff Sergeant Dignam, to go undercover and infiltrate Costello's crew. They set up a cover. Costigan serves time in jail on a phony charge and eventually joins Costello's crew. Ellaby informs Special Investigations that only Queenan and Dignam will know their undercover's names and that Costello's crew has stolen computer microprocessors to sell to the Hong Kong triad. Frank's opening monologue, right? He goes, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Can I say nothing else that Frank says or does in the preceding 150 minutes tells us any more about what he, what what we need to know about him from this more than this one sentence does? Yeah. Immediately you get what drives this guy. He doesn't want to be a pawn. He wants power. He wants to be above the law. Boom. Absolutely. Uh, but then he goes off the rails a bit. He goes, years ago we had the church. That was only a way of saying we had each other. The Knights of Columbus were real headbreakers, true guineas. They took over their piece of the city. Twenty years later, after the Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. May he rest in peace. That's when the N-words don't realise. If I got one thing against the black chappies, it's this. No one gives it to you. You have to take it. So you've just said a lot in a sentence, jumping from point to point to point. I I remember listening to that point and being like... (sighs) I think, if anything, that kind of made it, made, it showed the world he came from, and into in quite, quite a long ways the ignorance of where he came from as well. Because the backdrop of a lot of things, where obviously they showed so much of kind of the the racial history and difficulty in 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 Boston, and obviously America in itself, which was obviously synonymous or kind of a microcosm of America itself, and how everyone was pretty much in their role was so blinkered as to what their own struggles were where they've, they've probably not far off come up of, of um, segregation, but the, they feel that he feels that black people have it, need to have it handed to them. When they're fi- and they literally show that against the backdrop of them actually literally fighting I, against certain things. You know what I mean, I think it's just, it just kind of shows his I hear what you're saying. Vision. And you're right in terms of it, what he's saying links with the rioting footage and the protesting footage that we see. But he says guineas, and that is an, a, that, a guinea is a, a, refers to an Italian-American, Italian-American yeah. because their roots are in Africa. So it's basically the offence here is to imply that you perceive them not to be white. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, again, because it, it, it there was a whole thing about... I mean, they even talked about this in... 
uh, what was it? It was Goodfellas, where you had like Irish Americans and Italian Americans, and even if they were all part of, well, they were eventually kind of parts of uh, or kind of crossovers in certain mobs, but you only you only could be a made man if you were fully Italian, mm. you know. And I think there was a big thing about how there was a lot of resentment between Italian Americans and Irish. Uh, American gangsters because again they came from different places so guineas and spicks and something or what they all saw themselves and, and mix mix as they call them the Irish ones are all um, very very they consider them very very different even though they were all within the same kind of realm of work quote unquote and had many crossovers and had to work with each other hmm. there was still a lot of hostility between both sides it doesn't really bleed over into the rest of the film. Yeah. Because I think, see, I see think you uh, got it right, though, at the start, where you were saying about the segregation in the city. I think Boston went through a lot of that, including the time when... What was the gangster called? Whitey. Yeah. I think he, in real life, was actually seen as like trying to keep races and groups apart and like protecting liberties because they weren't allowing the government to enforce people to go to school together. There was a lot of stuff. I think of maybe you were from Boston... I don't know the history of Boston well enough, but the small bit of a documentary I did see brought up that Boston was like segregated and kept people apart and was sort of seen as, as doing that. And I think that bled over into this character, even though they're not basing it on Whitey. I think they said that that because people could exist like that, they felt comfortable writing this character. The beginning of the film really sets some a tone and a mood and it's unrepentive unapologetic it's very harsh um but the two parallel narratives running side by side and also mirroring each other are the lives of sullivan and costigan both orphans in a way both living double lives even before the story starts and this film starts with the same focus as it has in the middle and in the end and it's these two stories it was almost they it was almost like they should have been the other way around, where you had Costigan, who came from, in essence, that kind of world, and it was the reason why they could you plant him in it, because of his family, and because of the fact that he wanted to actually rise above it and become a, a cop and someone honourable, as opposed to Sully, who, for all intents and purposes, could have just gone straight and narrow, but... And very much kind of still showed that that image, you know, that that stellar record, that impervious record that he had, but then in essence was actually being used by the mob. Very much opposing... I 100% agree. Sullivan gets to be a gangster living a semi-luxurious life, and Costigan Mm. is a hero living the life of a bottom feeder. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the dramatic irony is as sharp as any I've ever seen in film, and it's right off the bat, right? Right out of the gate. It's perfect. There's a mole in the police looking for a mole in the mob. And there's a mole in the mob looking for a mole in the police. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's 101, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so hard to get right, but what would you expect from Marcus Costasi? Uh, I know he didn't write it, but he still had to put it over. And the dramatic irony is baked into the premise, right? You've got a kid trying to get away from his family mob ties by becoming a cop put undercover because of his family mob ties. <laughs> to, to, then, to then go live in the mob. It's, it's freaking cra- It's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. I suppose we've actually, we've, we've skipped ahead a little bit. Um, the, yeah, we, so we see that both these guys training to be cops and it looks like they're graduating in the same class. I guess, I mean, I guess they just never ran into each other. The divergence happens when Sullivan is 
Like oh. there's a, there's a ceremony where they all graduate. Sullivan is then really fast tracked straight to the special investigations unit, and then Costigan is intercepted by the undercover unit, and they reveal to him that they know he has hid his family background from them. I think they went to different academies, but end up obviously both both becoming state troopers. Colin Sullivan ends up becoming uh, going into kind of the SIU. They, they call it the, the other guy Barrigan says, "Oh, he, the plain the plain clothes unit straight away." Yeah. Um, but they were actually almost in the same room. Yeah, one's down the yeah. hall from each other. Not not they down the hall. Past each they, other. Were, they were they literally like he, when when Sullivan's speaking to Dingham and Queenham. And he says, oh, you're actually, you're, they welcome him, but you're actually going to be in our unit. You're actually going to be over in this one. Uh, DiCaprio, uh, Costigan is sat on a chair outside. He gets out, walks past him, and then Costigan goes into feet. the same room. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's why they don't see each other, because he's, oh, so, my so God, it, it that, is, that's nuts. Yeah, it's exactly the same time. So close. It's, so, but I'm pretty sure that they're, what they're saying to him is that he has tried to pull the wool over... Uh, the state's eyes by not telling them up front who his family yeah. family connections yeah. are because his uncle was a criminal who was involved in the South Boston mob under any other circumstances I'm assuming they'd have kicked him out for not declaring that upon applying but they see an opportunity here to exploit him yeah because he's a plausible criminal yeah it's not only that they keep talking about his dad like his dad must have been a legend, because literally, even to the point he worked where at the airport. He worked at the airport, and he's like, they, they they see that as a waste. But even to the point, and again, sorry to jump ahead, but even to the point where Costello is just like, if your dad saw us working, he'd kill seven people just to get to me, and he could do it. Yeah, yeah. what a legend! But why is he worked mean? at the airport? Why is his uncle, Uncle Jackie, the the criminal gangster, and his dad, who could rip people apart with his bare hands, worked at the airport? Because that's exactly what, like he said, I think it was the fact that his dad was, even though he knew he could be that way, wanted to try and go the straight and narrow. And like Costello said, it was a waste. Mm. Like, and you're a, and at one point when he, 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 when he, when they're first kind of speaking to him, he's like, you're a waste, like your dad. Like yeah. he, he ended up working at the airport. Mm-hmm. He could have been, he could have been anybody. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because Queenan and Dignam note particularly that they think Costigan's a smart kid. Yeah. You know, where he's like, you got fourteen hundred on your SATs. You're an astronaut. You're yeah. not a state trooper. So, yeah, it, it they're saying like, you're why like your like his father. He's like, why are you trying to do something that's below you, really below your station? And it took me a while to put my finger on why this film kind of feels so fresh, even though it's just your gangster typical gangster film. And it hit me: all the characters in this film are fucking smart. Yeah. Unbelievably so. Yeah. Yeah. You've got yeah. kids quoting James Joyce, yeah. and you've got Costigan quoting Hawthorne. Yeah. You know, the, and yeah. it's believable. It's the fact that everyone is a product of their environment. I don't want to be a and, oh, and, and, nice. and everything is, everyone is a product of their environment. And what did Costello say at the beginning? I do not want to be a product of my environment. Yeah. I want to affect my environment. Everyone else is a subject and a product of their environment. But he, Costello's the only one who's like... Costello I says, he's else. like, were you good at school? So was I. They call that a paradox. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and a half. Even with, with 1,400, he could be an astronaut, but he can't do anything because at the end of the day, unfortunately, his mother died. His, dad's, his dad is now dead. Um, the only people he had were Costigans, who were mobsters. He had no choice. So 
again, it was either go to the rich family uh, on his mother's side who didn't give a shit about him. Obviously, they showed. Or um, end up with a mob. Wasn't going to happen. So I'll become a state trooper. So what? This, so this is where you're, what, you're talk, what you were talking about earlier. This is where I had to, over the years, watch this scene with subtitles again and again. Because, <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason why Wahlberg is so adored in this role is because he gives the film authenticity. Absolutely. I've rewound, like I said, I've rewound the interview, this interview scene. He, he gives us Costigan's backstory in full, and it's so real. You know when he says, you know, your dad was a three-decker man at best? Yeah. And you've got to look that up and realize, well, that's a common working class type of house in South Boston. Yeah. And he, yeah. he says, how fucked up are you? Your dad was South Boston scum, and your mum was rich from the North Shore. And he asks him, why is he a stady making 30k a year? What's a yeah. lace curtain motherfucker like you doing in the stadies? He he's re- I mean it's a fucking brilliant deconstruction of this character. It, it literally is. And here's the funny thing, right? What they do is they delve into that so so deeply as well. Where he's like, "You lived two lives. You've been doing this your whole life, haven't you? All you've been doing your entire life is lying." And it's almost to the point where it's like it's almost like testing him. It's like you've had to prove that. I bet yeah. you spoke in two accents. You did. You, know you mean? fucking snake, didn't and you? And it's so it's so true because it's like yeah, he'll have that stuff, the proper Boston grow, yeah. but also had to obviously go with the North Shore preppy accent as well. Yeah. It's, it's like this is why you work. This is why, and it's, and it's so funny because what he's saying there is like this is why you can't be anything more than what you need than what than what we say you are. But this is also why exactly we need you. Mm. But that one shot of him with his dying mother, what more needs to be said? Yeah. It's, that's what's yeah. just it's Martin Scorsese apart from other directors less is more yeah, put, exactly him, yeah. put him into conflict straight away He's, he wants to be a state trooper they're like no fuck you you're not a state trooper and here's why we're going to give the audience and you your entire backstory and there's no like other directors would take 20 minutes explaining that so on the other side of the fence because I say there's, there's two parallel stories and as you say they're happening they were, they were literally almost in the same room together. And now Sullivan's gone down the corridor into the special investigations unit. So Sullivan's being briefed about who... Basically, he's being, we're being briefed about who the forces of antagonism are in this story. You know, we get the rundown of who the gangsters are, including Uncle Jackie, which is strange as somehow down the hall they're talking about the same guy. It's a simple pedestrian plot. It's the Irish mob are selling microprocessors, computer chips, to... <laughs> Chinese to the Chinese triads. It's it's a MacGuffin, something that is in the film or in the story that has nothing to do with anything anything except to push the characters' motivations and emotions along. So, like this microprocessor storyline leads nowhere. We don't we don't care where the China what the Chinese do with it or where it goes after that. It's completely its only purpose is to serve the narrative. Yeah. Exactly that. It gives the crooks something to be crooked about and the police a reason to chase them. Yeah. And um, one line that is spoken that is really prophetic, well, not pathetic, but prophetic, was uh, when at some point later in the film, Queenan says, we're probably going to be at war with Chinese in 20 years. Well, <laughs> it's nearly 2026. <laughs> <laughs> and that might be that it doesn't, it's not a, out of the realms of possibility. It is pretty funny that considering where the film originally kind of came from, the fact that they were actually willing to put the Chinese as one of the kind of antagonists or the kind of overarching antagonists in this was quite big, considering the fact it was originally a Hong Kong uh, crime flick. I think they did it because of it. Maybe, more than likely. 
I don't know. Well, you say that uh, Scorsese didn't even watch it. So. But here's the funny thing as well, because you know, Andrew Lau, the, the, the guy who was, the, I think he was the director or the writer of Infernal Affairs. Yeah, it was Andrew Lau. He, yeah, yeah he, he watched the film and he was like, yeah, well, I thought obviously mine's better, but he gets how the, the Hollywood one works better for Hollywood and stuff like that. So he actually was, he thought he gave it an 8 out of 10. I'm like, wow. In a film where they basically took the Chinese and made them the bad guys, he was still like, yeah, do you know what? I, I get it. Oh, that's gracious of him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. In this scene where they're giving the rundown on the processes, Digman comes in again as his first special guest lecture. And you thought he was funny in the last scene. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, Alec Baldwin. You literally see Alec Baldwin like laughing because they cut away and then they cut back and he's got a serious face. So it's just obvious like he was going to crack. I mean, he does. The character does take it quite well. He's like, he uh, does. "Fuck yourself, I can't. I'm too tired from fucking your wife. How, how's, your how's your mother? Good. Tell you, good. Fucking, tired from fucking my dad. <laughs> he's like, this department's got more leaks than the Iraqi Navy. He's like, hey, hey, hey. go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the other guy says, "Do you have any? Do you have any undercovers in uh, Costello's operation? Maybe, 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 maybe not. not. Maybe fuck yourself. Maybe fuck yourself. Fuck yourself. <laughs> that, that is the I truest burst line out in the whole yeah. film." <laughs> For me, I love it. Why the, the I, fuck would I answer that question? You it's can't. so true. It's so true. <laughs> I also love that. Obviously, the way he treats Fred. Ah, oh, I treat Fred like mushroom. Feed him shit. Keep him in the dark. dark. <laughs> Mate, you could not. That, that is the greatest like analogy. Simile, I... metaphor, personification, you... personification, nailed, <laughs> nailed it. It's poetry. <laughs> I, I love the casting as well for that FBI guy, when he just like gives that really meek wave, like, yeah. and then you're just like, "Fuck this guy, man." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he ain't even got a line in this film and I fucking hate him it's oh, freaking brilliant so, Sullivan kind of gets away unscathed in that scene even though he is the absolute rookie yeah um, and we see we see him next we see him getting that to live in that luxury apartment and this is where I'm, I get my first kind of really even yes even, I'm with you on that even the estate agent that. is suspicious I'm with you on that you know what I'm going to say right because his excuse oh, I've got a co-signer I've got a co-signer which is a guarantor right is that not suspicious on a cop salary? No one is looking into this in a city where they're looking for corrupt cops. Not to mention the fact that would you not check who the fuck the cosigner was? Seriously, you have to know. Because it was blatantly Costello. Yeah. <laughs> but any cop in that department, even Alec Baldwin's character, would look be like, how the fuck are you affording this? Mate, there's... I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't know when we're pulling the, ball, the bullshit cards out, but there is one bullshit thing coming up. Oh. With... Just one. This and it, uh, it's around this point that we're talking about, anyway. Ian, it's when if the, you they... pull a bullshit card, I will section you so fast. <laughs> so fast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You'll have crossed the line, yeah. and I will have sectioned you uh, so fast. <laughs> it, it's the first time, and it's it's just after the bit you were talking about, I think, where they get all the cops together and they're like, "We're doing a raid, like now." Um, blah blah blah. Everyone, get ready. They've just fed it through the pipe that we're doing it. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go call my dad that I'm going to miss dinner tonight. Mate. And fucking Alec Baldwin's... Not Alec Baldwin. Martin Sheen. Sheen. Martin Sheen Queen, walks around yeah. the corner. He's staring him in the yeah. face. He's like, yeah, dad, I'm missing dinner. He's like, so we yeah. just told you all. There's a huge yeah, range. It's, it's, and no, no, 20 no, no. seconds later, no. your ass is on the phone it's, to your dad. He says, tell mom I won't be home for supper. 
And then yeah. Frank says something, and then he goes, "No, my friends are still coming." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Have you ever been more blatant about something exactly in your that. life? Do you know what the worst yeah. part is? Do you know what the worst part is as well? That part. So that this, the, the bit you're actually talking about is later on in it's the film. It's way later on. Yeah, it's way late, oh, way okay. way later on in the film, right? But they have just he has just pretended to be a lawyer at that point, and what does he tell the other guy to do? Call call something. Tell him won't be home. I'm not going to be home for what? Supper. They use the same mm. fucking code. How have you missed that? Well, mm. no, because they, they turned the camera off in that one. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. So it's obviously a, a mob code, but oh. that, that was ridiculous. And, and Martin Sheen, I'm sorry, that he... I don't know if he did that on purpose or if he was misdirected. There is no other look that you could give to say, I know exactly who you're fucking... <laughs> Jimmy, absolutely... Mate, do you, know, do, you know, do you know what the worst part is? You, here's, 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 the worst, here's the worst part about that as well. This is the part where they're like, we need to find the mole. Yeah. Exactly. They, they, they just had an entire yeah. meeting about how yeah. they need to find the mole. And he looks at him like, yeah. hey, moly, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Call me, Honestly, calling yeah, this... your mum during the most, the biggest sting <laughs> operation to tell her you're this... not going to be home for supper. God. But some, for some reason, your friends... Your friends are still coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the first time I've watched this film through. And when Martin Scorsese gets thrown off the roof, I didn't feel bad. <laughs> Martin Scorsese definitely didn't get that. Mother, let me say this. Martin What? Martin Scorsese? Bro. Martin Sheen. Can you do me a favor, yeah? Just load up load up IMDb and just have the page yeah. in front of you. What it does, yeah, it gives, type, you pictures, <laughs> it gives you pictures, names, character. It's all there. Just just have that shit up. Starring Martin Scorsese. <laughs> directed by Martin Sheen. <laughs> Ah, stop oh, typing! Goodness. Stop typing! You fucking <laughs> bastard! Stop typing! Stop typing! Stop typing. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Um, the way that the the way those can we can we backtrack a bit, please? <laughs> we gotta we have to. Ian took us like freaking four quarters to do the way. You're so shitty, and you're like in, in, in the next scene. In the next scene. <laughs> In the next scene at the end of the film. <laughs> Fuck you now. It's, it's near the start, I swear. It's so not. It's, it is. It's not. We're literally it's talking about the part where he walks, into his, he walks into his apartment. For the first time. For the first time. And you've then, gone all the way to the last, the last raid. <laughs> no, it's the first raid. <laughs> it's not the first raid. Can I say something? Can I say something? It is. Can I say something? The credits haven't even started yet, have they? <laughs> at no, they point, haven't. At they... what point did they, does the South South Boston mob song come on? Twenty minutes into the film. So you <laughs> fucking Ian, you haven't even got past any credits. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, six. It's no, it's not. It's Fuck not you. that part at all. <laughs> Nowhere near. Nowhere near. The beginning of Empire Strikes Back. But Luke loses his right. head. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the beginning of the film when Vader spoke to his son and he was like, hey, what we're going to do is I'm going to put you on Tatooine, right? We're going to leave you there. I, I, think, no, I, I think Ian's mistaken this film for Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're watching oh the beginning at the end. I will admit, I'm a, I'm a little bit early. I've just, I've just, uh, just a little bit. Like a, just a little, a little bit. bit. <laughs> okay, no, this guy. <laughs> um... So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
I'm Someone thinking of every film now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally just flipping on his head. He's like, why did he? Why, I don't understand why he became Spider-Man and went through all that when Uncle Ben was alive the whole time. <laughs> Do you remember that film where, like, for some reason, that guy was walking really, really well, and all of a sudden he just turned into a cripple? God. And I was like, what? Why? <laughs> I mean, what the hell kind of name is Kaiser Sose? <laughs> Where did all these people come from? I thought he snapped them out of existence. <laughs> oh, we could literally do this the entire day. Don't laugh! This ain't reality TV! Um... <laughs> What I was trying to say was that these the two sides of the plot, Sullivan and Costigan, they in, intertwine in a really awesome way. So the guy who forged his CV to get the microprocessing job um, had help from Sean, who works for Costello and happens to be Costigan's cousin. Yep. And that's the funeral Sean tells Bill he went to when they meet a few scenes later. Or yep. as Ian would say, at the very end of the film. <laughs> you'll find that was the first nap point <laughs> the, the, the guy who was found in the dumpster basically is the guy who worked at the processor plant stole processors gave them to Costello um, Sullivan then speaks to this dead guy's mum to further the investigation and I, I'll be honest I was a tiny bit confused because I didn't understand why Sullivan's Sullivan is there just to keep up appearances. He has no interest in solving the case. So why does Costello need to drive by the mum's house while talking to Sullivan to intimidate her into silence? Because I think he has to. Because he has to keep up the appearance that he's actually looking to get some information and trying to solve this case. But at the same time, he needs to make sure that the mum doesn't give any information what? as to what's, what's going on. Fucking brilliant! Isn't he there with the other spy? Yeah. Both of them I didn't, didn't want to say want it. to be there. Yeah, both of them are like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely Are you taking that. notes? No, no, no. My pencil's broken. I'll be uh, sharpeners in the car, you know. Imagine, imagine you, imagine if that was your partner and you both didn't know that you were trying to screw over the investigation. Like one of you would be thinking about the other the whole time. Like he's fucking shit. I know why I'm not working. Why isn't he working? That was brilliant. Did you note the name of the microprocessing business? No, the, is it the Terminator the one? Mass pro, the mass processing company. I've just, or I could, I've written a note that says no marketing department there. <laughs> None required. It's like Dove changing their name to Mass Body Cleaning Corporation. <laughs> We've kind of said it already. the The theme of this film is so obviously identity. Very much so. Because w- so. Wahlberg dumped so much information on us in a realistic way. He, you said Anton before, he's antagonizing Costigan, and it's true to his character, which makes you not notice that they are giving us a lot of exposition. So we know yeah. his mum was rich, his father was poor, his uncle was a gangster. He's become accustomed to living two lives. We've just, we've, I'm just summing up what we've already said. Yeah, uh, you know, summers on the North Shore, the rest of the time in the projects, and that's. Yeah, he kind of says the key line for the first act of the film is, how fucked up are you? Yeah. Because the whole film is about having a lack of identity and how that fucks you up. I'm going to nominate this passage of time for a Wilfred Award because while Costigan is going through his interview, 
Sullivan graduates and is friends with Barrigan, is his name? Yeah. Next shot, they have an interaction like the two have grown apart and they're distant, all while Sullivan slots right into the SIU without so much of a, a rookie image. What, I, how is that possible when they both just graduated? DiCaprio is, is hurried into a room to be told that he's going undercover. Barrigan just saw him it did, just, just saw so, Sullivan a minute ago now he's like oh you don't you don't talk to me anymore you're too good I'm like hasn't it been five minutes yeah I know it's kind of a weird one in this time in this was a little bit convoluted it happens again it happens in quite a few things because they they jump a bit back and forth it's kind of yeah it's a little bit strange it's mad where the only time reference if I remember in the film is where he gives saying that I've been seeing some shrink for six months well, it's the only thing, and I was like, this couldn't have all happened in no, six months. No, like who who says that? Uh, DiCaprio's character. He so he says to Queen again. We're skipping ahead, but uh, Queen and he meets with Queen and uh, Dignam, and he says it's been a year already. Yeah, a year already. And yeah, then, he says wow. it's been a year already. And then yeah. and then he's having coffee with um, Madeline. Madeline, and mm-hmm. she says, "I've only been seeing my boyfriend for four months." Wow. So that's two Wilfred Awards. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it, 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 the t- time in this is a little bit... And, it, and it, I think it is more than anything just due to the fact that everyone just looks the same age regardless yeah. of what time it is. That's the only reason. If people looked younger or they had the ability to make them look younger, then we'd understand more. Maybe. Unfortunately, it's just, it's just the fact that it's just practical. Well, by the time shipping up to Boston kicks in and, the, and you get the departed title card, the entire movie is laid out and set up for us to enjoy. Sullivan begins a romance with police psychiatrist Dr. Madeline Madden. The MSP prepares to catch Costello studying the microbe processes. However, Sullivan tips off Costello about the police presence, causing the deal to occur off-camera, allowing everyone to escape. Costello realises there is a spy in his crew and tasks Sullivan to uncover his identity. Sullivan asks Costello for information to cross-reference his crew members in the MSP database. Due to being undercover, Costigan's emotional state declines, but Queen and Indignant plead with him to keep his cover. <laughs> plead with him? As in, <laughs> fuck you, weird, delete your file. Yeah. How does that sound? That's so hard. Guy, he what goes to me. He goes <laughs> so I, It's so... And again, like I said, a lot of it obviously is about identity and things like that. And it is just so... It's so obvious that he's dealing with so much. Like, the guy yeah. is alone. You know, he's like, yeah. he's alone. They, oh, they, they don't even, they don't even, they hit you over the head with it, but in a good way. Sullivan at the end says, "I erased you." Yeah, it's bone chilling because he did, and more importantly, he could. Absolutely, it's like I said, identity. It's literally mm. what it's. Uh, that's the whole purpose mm. of that. It's, it's, it's nuts. Definitely won't be the last time it comes up. I'm sure. No. So, we start with this, um, the meat, the meat cute between Damon and uh, Vera. Uh, Damon is charming as fuck in that elevator. Oh man, it's ridiculous. He's, he's not ridiculous. He is he, he, absolutely yeah. quick as hell. I mean, she's awesome as well. She's sexy. She's strong, silly, playfully silly, confident. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the I line where she's like, on her, her character. Uh, it, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy the way she like she's got like a, fem, a vulnerable femininity that just kind of like and she but but in a way that kind of she uses quite well where she doesn't. She doesn't really kind of get flustered on, unless she's speaking to um, Costigan. Yeah, exactly. But and it's, it's which, which is which is quite.
quite like again the whole juxtaposing thing about the, the two of them as well, mm. uh, like the two different characters. But yeah, even even his line where he's just like, "I'll I'll stab I'll stab everyone here in the pencil if it means to get, yeah, get, get another." It's, it's just art. Oh, he's brilliant. using some real game theory. Here. Oh, he's brilliant. negging. He's pushing, <laughs> capturing, DMVing, all that shit. <laughs> He's, you know, he's like, uh, no, it's all right. I'm a cop. I'll find you. No, I'm kidding. I need a cop. No, I'm kidding. I need to. Yeah. <laughs> and she and she likes it. You can tell right yeah. away. She's she's into it. So getting in with the mob is is dominates most of the end of the first act and into the middle act, where we see uh, Bill sp- he's speedily getting in with the mob, and it's relatively easy. And it's only easy for one reason: his family connection. I mean, he smashes a glass over the head of. Uh, an associate of Costello's, and boom, he's on the map. Yeah, it, 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 I don't think it, this this plan works if he's not already because they keep saying, "I know him, I know you." Yeah, you know, you know as amped as Costigan looks in that scene, you feel like French could kick the shit out of him. Oh, mate, hundred yeah. percent. He knows that. Yeah, well, I think that was a test as well, though. You know, to be like. That he knows the hierarchy and he understands how things work. When he, especially when when he repeated the line, that was like, "Are you going to fall in line?" I, know, yeah, but it was, it was a little bit quick though, wasn't it? Because they, I, I don't think French had seen him before that. He looked at me. He was like, "Oh, right," because his cousin's there, Sean's there, and he's like saying, "Now he's okay," which actually he begs warns the, him off the cousin, doesn't but, he? Yeah, well, he begs no, he begs the question. You're right. Why do they say don't associate? He goes, "Don't don't be." doing drugs with your idiot cousin when the cousin is actually working for them because it's the cousin who helped them get the microprocessors from that guy because he's still an idiot because they don't normally do they don't i think they don't because they tolerate the fact that his yeah they tolerate him one because of family yeah um and two because what more well they tolerate him because he's family but more the fact that because they know he does drugs and he's an idiot he's very likely to get caught perfect examples when they were in the car and what did he? What did he have in him? Or what did he? What did he? he did, when they drove, when he drove past the, the didn't cops, he, like, he did his something. Fingers up or something. He, he did something, did something stupid, or like he banged on the window or something like that. It's like he's yeah. happy to draw attention to himself, despite everything that they. That they he's a fucking moron. That they do exactly. He's the, he's just a type of low-level lackey that will give that will that will bring down the entire operation. I, what, I thought it was enough what he did with smashing the glass over uh, the guy's head in Costello's bar, but. He feels the need that he has to ruffle more feathers and he somehow knows where these two Providence mobsters are going to be in a local Boston food joint and he beats the shit out of them. Because mm. I didn't really understand, for me, I didn't really understand the whole beating of, the, of that as well. I think it was just the fact that because they're Italian and they were trying to take money he, he, from... He knows, uh, he knows that all these mobsters talk, all these mobsters threat... They would have found out who he was. They, some guy beat them up in a shop. They would have found out who he was. Word would have got back to Frank. He's he's just he's trying to worm his way in there. Yeah. But again, I I'm think... saying it wouldn't work unless Frank felt an obligation based on who his family were. Yeah, and that's exactly why they put him there. Yeah, that's exactly why. So they I'm like there. saying, like it's not fifty percent it, of it is he's lucky of who he is or unlucky. Yeah, of course. He, but yeah, um, I'm saying that he's Billy is good. Really good with a poker face. Really good at um, you know thinking on the spot. But again, it's, he's nothing without the fact that he is Uncle Jackie's nephew and his dad. Yeah, oh, he's intelligent enough to play that card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, was, that that part was crazy when he smacked his arm with the with the, the oh, heel. Man. 
They, like, first of all, they smack the arm against the, 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 the table yeah. to break it. And he's like, yeah, it's clean. And then he starts, oh, mate, Jesus. You're going to stop selling crackers, you idiot fucking guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he actually really seemed remorseful when he said, all right, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, get yeah. your arm fixed. When he throws him like $300 and then just throws the rest of the money on the table after. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah just, that's good of you, man. The film kind of converges or the... You know, the the start of Act 2 kind of converges at this meeting between Costello's crew and the Triads. So, Ian, uh, I'm pretty sure... wasn't Isn't, isn't this... Yeah. This is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, 101 minutes into the film. Yeah, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, this is what you're talking about. Not 101, one hour and one minute. <laughs> yeah. To be precise. So, yeah, this is the, the scene. Yeah. This uh, this whole operation on trying to catch Frank red-handed, um, I know Solomon is tipping them off, but it really shows how fucking shit the special investigations unit is, and how they can never ever work with undercover ever. Mm. They can't cooperate, yeah, especially for the safety of the person involved as well. But yeah. again, that camera, that camera, we had we had we had two hours. We had two two hours. I'm the, guy, I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> you must be the other guy. <laughs> what a line. Was it just fluke that there wasn't a camera out back? Well, that's Was what it I'm really thinking. just down to luck? I think Ian's hit the nail on the head. How could... Just because they were tipped off that the police were surveilling the, the meeting, how could they have known where the cameras were? How could Frank have known that there wasn't a camera, you know, around the back or whatever? Yeah, it's a weird. See, see, Frank. Clearly was the FBI the involved? In, was the was the, was the FBI involved in that in that part? They were there. Yeah. See, because here's the thing, and one of the things that kind of draws a lot of attention or a lot of kind of murkiness, especially towards the kind of the end of the film, after you find out that Frank is an informant, is how much information is Frank giving to the FBI or does the FBI give to Frank yeah how much is he getting from them do you know what I mean and it's because it's there's so many times where I'm just like oh has he done this because he knows yeah the FBI? like for, for example again sorry to jump ahead um, because it's actually like a major whole thing but when um, one of the guys dies and he's like oh if the cops say he's a cop and it's like mm, but how did they find the body yeah. Like, did did did, did yeah. Frank tell him to go bury it there in the marshes and then, then go tell the FBI to tell it? They can find it. Do you know what I mean? There's so much that's like... Mm, but again, this is, the, this is the layers with the film. This is the layers with the film. It's true. Now is the time, Ian, the appropriate time, <laughs> where you may throw your bollocks card if you wish, because we do get the obligatory scene where Matt Damon is clearly tipping off <laughs> Costello right in front of... <laughs> Martin, Martin Sheen. Yeah, absolutely throwing out my bollocks card for that because, I mean, it's fine. It was just how fucking quick. It's like, right, we've just had this secret meeting about raiding someone. I better go call the wife and tell her I can't make dinner. Not even, <laughs> like, not even my wife. Oh, fuck's your priority. Mum. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the friends are still coming. What? Yeah. Yeah, my, my friends are still down. It's like, what? Even like the I'd throw a bollocks card out to be like, see your friends are going to your house without you to have dinner with your mum. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, no, he's speaking to his dad. He's speaking to his dad. 
Yeah, but even still, like your mate. But that's even worse because then it's because then it's a male. You know, it's a it's an elderly male. Mm. You know, like Frank Costello. (laughs) All I say is like I think at that point I don't think you'd be like oh you're the mole. But I'd be like there was a mole and I caught this motherfucker on his phone ten seconds after he told everyone. So Um, Sergeant Sullivan pulls off one of the greatest skills I've ever seen in a crime movie by how just because of how easy it could go tits up is when he texts from his pocket. Flawlessly. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. was we back in the day. Here's we the fu- were all doing that. No, I was. That was, was a fucking that. skill. Was, here's the funny thing, right? I, I I I remember thinking that and thinking, will he will he go? And then I just thought, nah, she yeah, I used to do that all the time. Literally, you yeah. could do. I could send texts without. I like, would never be able to. I would without, always without press something looking, wrong. Because you got to get looking. into. Remember, in those old phones, you had to get into the text by like five different menus. Before you were in the this, text. This is his craft, you know. He's like, I'm definitely going to need this skill. So he's just trying to imagine, like every every night, he's just doing it with exactly, his eyes closed. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, even the fact that he's got a flip flown, I'm yeah. sure, was intentional. Where it's like, no one can read the messages, no one can see it. Nothing's ever going to pop up by accident. That's good shouting. Actually. It's got buttons on it. Anthony, it, it reminds me of you and me when we were when we became uh, we ascended on we. Tennis, yeah, absolutely. playing Start blindfolded, playing, <laughs> playing blindfolded with, with sound. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, that was nuts. I literally, we'd, we'd be blindfolded, and you'd hit the balls. Like, ah, you didn't get the super serve. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you missed the super serve. Oh, that was nuts. <laughs> that was I remember because Ian, Ian went. To, you went to see uh, She Who Must Not Be Named over the weekend, and on Friday you left me and Anton playing. And we were playing normally, and then you came back on Sunday. And you just told them the room, and we're blindfolded. <laughs> like, what, what did I miss? The um, worst thing was it didn't even look strange. I walked in and was like, hmm, "Yeah, we'll <laughs> <laughs> see. So you've hit the next level." The whole operation is botched, and Sullivan comes out of it with a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he's so at this point he becomes in charge of the task force to find himself. Okay. Meanwhile, Costigan learns that Costello is a protected FBI informant, and Costello accuses Costigan of being the spy within his crew, which he denies. Costigan shares his discovery with Queenan and warns that Costello is aware of a spy within his crew and tells Dignam that there's a spy in the MSP. Confused yet? Other than Queenan and Dignam, Costello's only contact in the MSP is Madeline Madden, Sullivan's girlfriend, with whom he later has an affair. So, this whole film lives and dies, in my opinion, on this one key point. Where Frank sets Bill up with misinformation, believing it will go back to Sullivan. Uh, and if Bill is the rat, then it will smoke him out. Yeah. Frank calls Sullivan, it appears, really soon afterwards and says, did you hear anything? No, yeah. and I would have. Alright, case closed. <laughs> yeah, how can yeah. you be so sure let's take a minute and not drop the most obvious suspect because you believe someone would have told you something the moment it was brought to their attention it's also funny the other, the other thing that's funny about that as well is also the fact that they're basically using the same tactic that Costigan suggests the uh, police department the undercover police department use and says you know when, he's, when he says, I should, why, should I, why shouldn't I get... You know, at the airport, when he's at the airport, yeah. like, why shouldn't I get on the plane? And he's like... And he's... Oh, what, what is, I can't remember exactly what he says specifically, but basically the same thing. Give him some form of information that would only go back to 
that would that would eventually kind of all go back to the mole, or you drop us some information or something like that. It's basically, it's just the same tactic. Yeah. It, it, so he, why he goes? So Costello goes straight back to Sullivan and says, "I've given William, I've, I've given Al, got this guy. Yeah, this fake information. Um, have you heard anything yet? No, I haven't, and I'm absolutely a hundred percent not going to hear anything ever." about yeah. this so you need to close the, it's like I'm closing the case on this now but you know William's fine I Jesus Christ can you can you say jumping the gun pretty much <laughs> pretty much I mean the whole film's over if you just wait a minute and be like oh yeah that did just come in I did just see that <laughs> sorry I was standing at the water cooler I heard it <laughs> we get uh, our first scene with Costigan and Madeline as part of his court-appointed therapy. And, and right off the bat, there's chemistry between these two. But it's clearly never going to work out. She's well over 25. What the fuck did you just fucking say? That Reddit chart is fucking a thing of beauty. That is nuts! I oh, can't that's believe how detailed and serious it's, it is. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts, the, the level that people can go to. But, yo, it's public information, so yeah. yeah. Show them trends. Show them trends. What was horrible was people tweeting her before they actually broke up, being like, "You know, he's going to break up." Final countdown. <laughs> no. Final yeah. countdown song. Stop shit. it. Because yeah. they're like, "You're 25." Oh, <laughs> and then it happened. Yeah, and it's like that is. Hey, it's congruent, man. This is... Can't argue. With, can't argue consistency, though. Let's face it. Yep. Back to the departed. This interaction that we were talking about between Madeline and uh, Bill is quite interesting, I think, because we explores how this undercover game has changed him mm. and how he's kind of discovered something about himself. Like Ian, she has, she has, a, she has a thing for the, uh, the charity cases to an extent. Well, the bad boys, I'd say <laughs> pretty much. I mean, Sullivan is on the, the facade of Sullivan is that he's like fucking Captain America. Yeah. And Billy is the one that's, you know, a rebel without a cause. Yeah. In in this conversation with her, and it's a great way of, I mean, the best, the best way of characters revealing how they feel is through forced interaction. It's never good when they're just sitting with a friend saying, I'm so lonely. Yeah. He doesn't want to be there. He is being, cagey to say the least but we're getting from him you know like like ian said in his uh his favorite quote is about his hand being steady as a rock he's like you sit there with a mass murderer and your heart rate is pounding then i realize that my hand is rock steady yeah i also love uh this scene because it's so screenwriting 101 where we dive right into it the first line is, do you lie? Just think of any other line that immediately fucks things up when two people meet. It's yeah. fucking fantastic. We know yeah. why he's there. We don't need anything like, oh, hello, my name's William Constigan. My father was a baggage handler at the airport. He just, you, you just set up conflict right away. He's like, do you lie? Yeah. What's the answer to that? No. Fuck you. Everyone lies. Or, yes, I yeah. lie. Oh, so why are you, why are you talking? You know, like, yeah. it's just such a, it's, oh, I wish I could write like that. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. It's just, it's so pun- it's punching to the point, and the fact that he's asking it to a psychiatrist, mm. who in essence should be there if anything to kind of analyse the truth. <laughs> How about you? Are you going to tell me the truth? 
I think they did a great job of showing off his intelligence. Oh, he owns her. Absolutely. Oh, he's like, and what if that was a legitimate threat? Ha ha, shut. I'm like, jeez, he just. It was the psychoanalysis where he was just like, so you had a father that drinks. And and you could tell she was just like, oh. You know, like, she she was kind of a little startled by it as well. But I think think that was what. Because for me, sometimes when I was watching the two of them, I was just like, I, don't, I, I, at first I thought I didn't get it, but to then I, I did get it. It's like yeah. she, he, she, he tests her. He as, exactly. He's probably the only person that kind of gets her flustered like that. Well, yeah, absolutely. She likes him because he is quote unquote honest, whereas she senses inauthenticity from Sullivan. She knows yeah. he's not being honest with her, mm-hmm. and she says, "You don't." I think she says, "Your vulnerability is freaking me out right now." Yeah. I mean, you don't see them in many scenes together, but when you do, you just feel he's willing to be real with her, whereas yeah. her... It was, it was, I'll tell you what the other funny thing was as well, and they showed they, they still showed that the, the differences in both men and the kind of how it is where Sully makes a joke and hides the picture of her. He says, oh, we've got to put it away kind of thing. So it's kind of, in a weird way, it's endearing, but it's, a back, it's not even a compliment. It's kind of backhanded where we're not going to put up your true self. Mm. Whereas... Um, so, uh, um, Costigan sees the picture, kind of laughs at it, honestly, and then puts it up. This is like well, you shouldn't be hiding that true self. Yeah, it's crazy how like and and they show that in, in, in with one with one thing like just just the picture of her. Mm. Madeline, I think it's I, I I think it's a positive thing because she's not being played. Really, she's the player. She is having an affair. Yeah, she's made that decision perfectly clear. There's no meekness about her. She's very confident in who she is, and she knows she knows why she's doing it. She doesn't quite trust uh, Sullivan. He doesn't let her in, where she feels like Bill does in a way that no one else has. I think one of the things that was again, like you said, the whole thing. Do you lie? Mm. And we proved, and she's proved that she does in an extent. But mm. it's also kind of the whole thing again about identity. Who is she as the person? Yeah. Um and even the psychiatrist makes mistakes and is aware of the mistakes she's making, but still in a weird way wholeheartedly jumps into them because of the reaction she's getting from two different men. Hey. It's 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 crazy that there's so much kind of the film talks about about who a person is. You you gotta give Scorsese credit. This is a film about men and involving men. And the one female character that's in it is actually probably as complex as any of the characters, mm. just by her actions alone, you, she's layered as fuck. Mm. Yeah, I mean, she's she. You know, in some scenes she's quite androgynous, and then in other scenes she's very playful and silly and flirty, and then in other scenes she's very coy. She can be timid and she can be somewhat sensitive, and then when she's with uh, Bill, she's quite ferocious and the fact that the character itself kind of brings something in a very, very kind of machismo film yeah she brings up a kind of softness to the film that it, that 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 one works two is quite prominent because it's so different to the energy that every single other person is bringing mm. uh and three is despite her lie quite honest yeah she, where no one else is she takes the piss out of him as well when she gives him the two pills she I think she explains that next line though. She goes outside and says that you meet all the criteria of someone trying yeah. to get drugs. Yeah, so. of drug-seeking behaviour. That the character was so believable. I don't know how she came to the conclusion that he just wants drugs. Costigan follows Costello into a theatre and witnesses him giving Sullivan an envelope. 
Queenan instructs Costigan to get a visual ID of Sullivan before making the arrest, but Costigan is unable to get a good look at Sullivan's face. When Sullivan realises that he is being followed, he attempts to hide and stab Costigan as he walks by, but mistakenly kills a restaurant worker and flees the scene. Sullivan then tries to cross-reference Costigan's picture, captured by nearby security footage against police officer databases, but cannot recognise him. Queenan advises Sullivan to follow Costello to find the MSP, Mole. Costigan calls Queenan and sets up a meeting, but Sullivan has Queenan tailed by another officer by lying to the officer about Queenan being a possible spy. Sullivan uses the tail's information on their location to call in Costello's gang. When Costello's men arrive, Queenan helps Costigan escape before confronting them and being thrown from the building's roof to his death. When Bill's got a, a visual on the mole, which is Sullivan, okay. and, and in a text, Queenan says, make a positive ID before making make, an make arrest. Make a rest, yeah. And I'm like, what's he going to do in the middle of Chinatown where he's not a police officer, he's got no proof he's a police officer, he's got a gun, you know, he's got... He's basically got a police officer as a hostage on some vague yeah, pretense. Yeah, I, I, I imagine they think it's worth burning him at that point. They're like, if we can get rid of the mole, uh, it might just be like... No, 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 he should, no then he said no, you, you should more... pop him, but he didn't. He said arrest him. No, no, I think it's more, no, I think it's more the fact that it's one of those things where at that, at that, at that point, he's taking the information or he's taking orders from Queenham, Dingham, whoever, or Dignam, sorry, whoever, um, and it's a case of if he makes the arrest, then it's one of those things where you make the arrest and we and we do everything backwards, as in like. Oh, yes, you would have said, keep him reveal. there, keep him detained. Yeah, and we'll, yeah, and we we'll can now, exactly. Yeah. We can now reveal that it turns out that Costigan yeah. was actually a cop, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. I felt bad for the restaurant worker that got fucked. Yo, that guy got stabbed yeah. up. Did he you got shanked, man? Did you notice he's wearing the exact same thing that Sullivan was wearing? Blue jeans, uh, a blue hoodie, and a blue uh, baseball cap. Right. Pretty much. Go back and watch it. I was like, um, <laughs> was wardrobe on sabbatical? I don't know where... No one was keeping an eye on that. At this point, I was throwing the towel. I mean, if Frank is an informant, at this point, innocent people are getting killed. Why is Queen and falling from the top of buildings to his death when there's literally no chance Frank is going to get prosecuted? You know, they can arrest him on the state level, but not federal level. Everything that Bill is doing, he must have, right now feel like it's all for naught. It is such a weird one, because even the fact that we eventually... Holly finds out that Frank is an informant, and it's just like, well, that muddies everything. Mm. That turns, like, that so turns what, Sullivan what, against yeah, them completely. Like, what, what, yeah, it's like, what is, it, what is everyone doing now at this point when the person who they're, they're trying to, they're apparently the ultimate aim that one person is trying to get and one person is trying to save is the person who's informing the FBI about loads of other stuff anyway and therefore basically has a free reign. You're both, you're both useless then, now, in I, essence. I think what, what, what the realisation that came at that moment, Frank gives up people to take the heat off of himself. And yeah. both Sullivan and uh, Bill are wondering why he is go- he, why Frank is going even more doolally, more loud, more in your face, drawing attention to himself. And I'm sure Sullivan at that moment switch flicked in his head and said, "If they try and say, hey, fuck you, we're going to arrest you now,' he'd be like, hey, I know someone who's a mole inside.' Yeah, exactly. yeah. special investigation unit. Like he he realizes he's the insurance policy. It, I think that in a weird way makes it more about the moles finding each other. Yeah. Because then it's like, okay, 
at the end of the day, Frank is definitely an informant, so whatever. And it literally is more about okay, now the moles are have to find each other to protect themselves mm. against the mole. If that makes sense, because now both of them don't technically have anything to lose except the other person. As a result of Queen's murder, Sullivan is attacked by an angered Dignam, who is then suspended by Ellaby shortly after. Meanwhile, one of Costello's mortally wounded henchmen, Timothy Dillahunt, who is later revealed to be another undercover cop working for the local department, explains to Costigan that he is aware of his infiltration but doesn't alert the crew before succumbing to his gunshot injury and dying. Sullivan also learns that Costello is an FBI informant and decides to help the MSP catch him. Costello is tailed by the MSP to a cocaine drop-off where a gunfight erupts, killing most of Costello's crew. Sullivan confronts a wounded Costello who admits to being an FBI informant and shoots him dead in an act of self-defense after Costello raises his handgun and attempts to shoot him. Man, what makes this film so intense is actually down to a person called Thelma Schoolmaker, who is the editor of this film and the greatest editor of all time. She's responsible for every one of Scorsese's movies. Damn. In this movie alone, there are 3,200 cuts, meaning the average length of a shot was 2.7 seconds. What the hell? (laughs) And that is so evident in this final shootout. And I just... I I keep thinking to myself, like, why is this... Why is such a long movie, like, feeling so fast and furious? And that's the reason. There are there are there are so many kind of like cuts and stuff, and even from the beginning, even some even some kind of crazy shots where you see like at the beginning, I think it's and way back, I think it's Sully stood in front of a building and they almost do like a James Bond shot and then zoom out. Yeah, it's called a uh, iris. Yeah, they do an iris, and I'm just like, yeah, that is absolutely freaking... a. Homage, hundred percent. Yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ! They're like, they're they're, they're really throwing some mm. classics at this. <laughs> do you, do yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah, it's 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 oh, it's crazy. It's just so crazy how it's done. It, this is probably as plot driven as a film as you'll ever see. We do not dwell in character emotions. We do not pander to their backstories, and we don't really deal too much with relationships developing. It's fucking lean for a two and a half hour flick. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, think of it. You get mere seconds of seeing how upset Dignam is at uh, Queenan's death. Only a moment of Costigan, of sitting there with the phone, you know? Yeah, yeah. You don't, they don't dwell. They don't dwell in character pity or anything. They just keep going. And this all ramps up to the end, where they're going to this cocaine pickup. You know how he was saying how blatant it is when he's like, uh, my friends are still coming. Is it me or is William texting in the back of that car so suspectly? I'd, I, I kind of, you know, like at one point, Costello looks at him or, or kind of looks or does a look, and I'm like, does he, does he know? Does he, is he? Yeah. Okay, no, we'll just leave it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I kind of think he was past it. He'd just been like slipping. I mean, all of them were there. He even got warned not to go. He's like, you don't even need to be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And it's like, no, it's like, you're fucking done. Like, Yeah. Get rid of the tail! Yeah. I love how, uh, you know, as we said, Sullivan finds out Frank's the informant, and he so quickly and ingeniously comes up with a plan. He's basically saying, I'm going to... He goes in there and says, I, I can get him tonight. Let's take tonight, this prick tonight. Yeah. Yeah. No one even questions it. They're like, yeah, no, that's absolutely. Yeah, cool. yeah let's go. That's absolutely. A- so, if, if anything, Frank underestimated Sullivan. 
Or yeah. maybe, as you say, I think you both alluded to the fact that he's just lost the plot completely. He has just lost it because, again, even with that, it, it, again, he didn't have to go. No. He didn't have to go. And, and Sullivan says to him in that final showdown, you had no sons. You know, what is this about? Like, me, you, you being a father figure to me? And, and I guess Frank does take both Bill and Sullivan under his wing like that. And it may lean back to that theme of identity where does Frank have a legacy past mm. his death? Mm. Uh, he didn't have any kids, so maybe that he knows about. So maybe... Yeah, exactly. Maybe there was a soft spot in him that lo- he got lost uh, along the way where he, he wanted a legitimate heir. Here's the, here's the funny thing. is like when he talks about, is this what about, is this about son? Is he talking about Sully or is he talking about Costigan at that point? Yeah, exactly. I think it's ambiguous on purpose. Absolutely, absolutely. Is that what it's about? Is it about having a son? Because hmm. who does he, again, he gives the tapes to, to Costigan in the end. Yeah, which must have hurt. Must have hurt Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. When Costigan goes to Sullivan to reveal his undercover status, he notices the envelope that Costello used to collect the gang's personal information to find the mole on Sullivan's desk and realises that Sullivan is Costello's spy. Sullivan then erases Costigan's records from police computers. Costigan hands Madeline, who has moved in with Sullivan, an envelope and instructs her to open it if anything ever happens to him. Later, she reveals that she is pregnant to Sullivan, then opens a different letter containing tapes Costello made of himself with Sullivan, listens to them, and then leaves Sullivan. There's subtle hints, and it's never really fully explained, but they mention, you know, she mentions that Sullivan's having trouble performing in bed. So the question becomes, whose baby is it? I was yes. going to bring this up. Of... Yes. Because they leave it open at the end, don't they? I don't yeah. think it needs to be explained. I think they leave it no, ambiguous. And... I quite like that. You know, the funny thing is, you know the whole impotency thing? Yeah. That was actually Matt Damon's idea for his character. Really? Yeah. See, the whole point was it was meant to kind of be a, a quite a quite a contradiction or like a, 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 a juxtaposition to... Costello's character who's obviously aggressively manly he's like in his 70s and he's still freaking ramming pussy as he puts in all that <laughs> kind of stuff whereas we've got uh, Costigan who for all intents and purposes is, is a good looking guy pretty much it has women looking at him stuff like that but he can't get it up yeah and and, and again it's almost that, that conflict as, as to the, the kind of the so much lies that he's telling that he finds it difficult to just kind of yeah it's definitely psychological yeah absolutely Absolutely that. Which tells you that he might not fully be as corrupt as he'd like to think he is. He's obviously got guilt, and that it leads back to the Catholic guilt thing. And it also leads back to the whole, him considering the whole law school thing. Yeah. For, for a second as well, yeah. where he's like, oh, what if we just left? If I just left with this woman? Yeah. Would things be easier? Mm, it's true. How does the smartest guy in most of the rooms in this entire film leave the one piece of evidence that could catch him out on his desk yeah. in a non-locked room, room that the fucking cleaning staff even have access to. What burn the information so. after you've used it, or put it in a fucking lockbox? Like, why would you leave that things, on your desk? I think it is one of those things where he just didn't expect the inf- the only person who would know what that meant is the is the informant, and I think he didn't expect the informant to be one in his room, but two. By that point, Frank's dead. He's like, man, I'm done. This is all cool. To the point where he was literally going to give him back his own information to be like, go live your life. I'm done. I'm cool. We're, we're going to get out of this kind of thing. I think it was just, unfortunately, just being too cocksure at that point. Yeah, okay. I'll buy that. I just thought he had been so meticulous and careful up until that point. But he was almost like peaking in power. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was, yeah. ser- he was running was. apartments searching for himself. Yeah. And it's like, well... Yeah. And that's probably why Costigan decided to leave then confront him. Because it's almost like the Emperor. He's like, he's too powerful to be left alive. Yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. Costigan arranges to meet Sullivan on the rooftop where Queen and died, then arrests him. Costigan calls Trooper Brown, a friend from the police academy, to substantiate his identity. But Brown pulls a gun on Costigan when he arrives, unsure who is telling the truth. Costigan says that he has evidence tying Sullivan to Costello, and Brown lets him go down the elevator. Upon reaching the lobby, Costigan and Brown are both shot and killed by Trooper Barrington, a friend of Sullivan's who reveals himself to be another mafia informant working for Costello. Sullivan then shoots Barrigan dead, allowing him to out Barrigan as the mole while removing suspicion from himself. When Sullivan arrives home after attending Costigan's funeral, Dignam, who Madeline had presumably shown the incriminating tapes to, is waiting and shoots Sullivan in the head, killing him and avenging Queen and Anne Costig- Costigan's deaths. There's a lot of shooting. <laughs> I think it was, and I think this is what Ian was alluding to earlier, I think it was well stupid Costigan wanting to arrest Sullivan. Just send the fucking tapes to the state prosecutor. I didn't... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot I just... Let, where do you want to meet? At the death where Queen and died. Yeah. It's like, why? <laughs> fucking <laughs> psycho. Yeah. <laughs> it's like at this point he just wants to morally arrest him. I'm like, dude, yeah. this could really, really end badly. Just... But here's the, fun, here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. That is exactly what he was going for. It was almost still kind of like a, I'm going to prove I'm better. I'm going to prove that I'm still a cop and I'm loyal. Because what did he say? He's like, I didn't even give a shit whether or not this actually sticks. Stick. Well, then he just, should be beating up people in police you. custody. <laughs> pretty much yeah that's that ending people hide behind the idea of subverting expectation to to why they make wild decisions and I think I think Scorsese said you know one thing I've never done in my my movies is just abruptly kill the main character without yeah yeah yeah, yeah do you, know what? Do you yeah. know what though when I first watched it it fucking worked I wasn't analysing it to this detail and yeah. I was sat with my jaw on the floor. Yeah. I oh, was like, man. this is incredible. Again, like I said, you it's obviously sat there. one of the best there. scenes man, I've ever seen. I, I've never seen that happen in a film before. You sat there and watched, watched my reaction to that. <laughs> Especially literally just sat there looking at me. I was just like, this is madness. Mm-hmm. You felt like justice had been robbed. You were like, he's just going to walk away from this. And... Yeah. Oh, I was nuts. Okay, like okay, I can say, it's the first time the sort of red wedding Ned Stark feelings were coming yeah. about. Do you know what, mate? I think you, I think you're spot on there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely that. Yeah, the funeral was, is, is, is I think the funeral serves Billy Costigan's character more than yes another ending. Like yeah. he got the funeral he, as someone of his heroics deserved. Yeah, as in he he got he in the end he got what he wanted. His name, the way he deserved, yeah, will always be that his name, his identity, and the merit, mm. and the funny thing as well, because obviously, um, I don't know. You'd assume Sullivan would have put two and two together, where he was like, "I'm seeing this shrink. How's it working out for you?" And then it turns out, obviously, the shrink, which is obviously quite likely to be his his girlfriend, is then more upset at his death. You, you, you assume, considering how smart they are, that they put two and two together. Um, I don't know because he said, "Hey, what about the baby? What about the yeah. baby?" Yeah, and it was it, like... that that shot actually. You mentioned that that James Bond esque iris effect that they they did before, which they did both on Matt Damon, by the way. They do another, and I, I'm convinced this is on purpose. Her walking past him, I believe, was a shot from a film called The Third Man. There's a really long 
fun there's a funeral scene and then a really long road where the guy's waiting to talk to the woman and the you feel the film building up to the climax of them embracing then she walks yeah. like right past him into the camera yeah and uh, the film ends like that and i feel like wow. that's what they were going for yeah and i think the whole question about what about the baby isn't so much obviously it's him and in, i mean from from the story perspective you obviously mean like they like look like you have you have something to consider and she's like i don't give a shit but I think it's also prom probably more for the audience to be like, what about the baby? To prompt the fact that, oh, shit, what about the baby? Yeah. What if it's not his? We don't get the answer. She leaves. She goes off and does her own thing. It's another, it's another comfort to think that that is how Costigan lives on. Yes, exactly he, that. He got a exactly legacy. That. What about the baby? Yeah. yeah. Some subscribe to the idea that Madeline tipped off Dignan yeah. to what happened. And then there are others who think that Dignan was the last mole. I mean, yeah. either way, <laughs> I think it's a fucking amazing scene. I was so happy he was there. They did a great job of making you forget about him. I think it's interesting to to think that he he knew the whole thing the whole time, and that was the last piece of the puzzle was to kill Sullivan. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Cause I don't I, know how would she even know to call Dignam. I love the simple of just you know simplicity of just. He knew because of Quinion or the recordings or the, you know, multiple reasons. I like to think that was justice and it's all got wrapped up rather than it's deeper to add another mole and to add another layer. But that would you don't you you think they're going it's for not subtlety? A story, then. I mean, can we really overlook the fucking rat that's crawling across the balcony? So Are apparently, we according to Apparently, according to Scorsese, that actually wasn't intentional, but it then actually kind of works out. What do you mean? Um, they didn't know the rat was going to be there? I, that's the thing I don't understand. It's like, it, apparently, it wasn't meant to be especially synonymous about the whole rat thing, even though it worked and was pretty, pretty, much, pretty much exactly a rat. I wasn't even going to throw a bollocks cub, and now I'm considering it. A, a, rat, a, rat against the, <laughs> a rat against the church uh, oh, building that they're looking at. It's like, mate, it's like, what? how, yeah, how can it not be? You went way too far in the symbolism. How could, how could it not be? Final thoughts. First of all, the fun, the fun things is that I, I threw out two Wilfred Awards here. So that puts The Departed in first place for movies with unexplainable time lapses. <laughs> um, wow, really? Yes. Crazy. Temporal time shifts aside, going to just say fuck it and give it 10 out of 10. God damn. Shit. This God is, damn. I cannot overemphasize like, how how this is my perfect film. You know, the theme speaks to me. People might say that your identity <clears throat> doesn't matter because, <clears throat> you know, you could be like, I don't care what people think of me. I, I self-identify as a good person. I'm authentic. I have integrity, moral compass, standards. But <clears throat> what happens when your entire identity is erased? No one cares who you really are. So who are you? I can wake up in the morning and say I'm an undercover cop, but only two people on earth know this about me. So everyone else we identify will identify me as an ex-con, a gangster, and a criminal. And um, you know, as they say, perception is reality. I just find the whole story really engrossing from that point of view. Like, how long before you start to feel that inner strength and resilience eroding? You must start to think, what am I fighting for? These gangsters I'm hanging out with care more about me than anyone else in the world. So my sense of duty needs to be fucking inhuman to continue on. I just, just love this film. It, it's so hard to decide on a score now. I don't know why, but watching it this time through, 
I watched it with so much like attention to detail, being able to reward like rewind, had subtitles on. Um, it, it, one of my favourite films for sure, but I felt a little numb to it. I think watching it the first numb. time. I think. <laughs> I think the very first time watching it, I absolutely loved it. And just the emotions it drew in were incredible. This time through, not so much. I, I, I watched a documentary on it um, for this podcast. Like, it's only like a 20-minute one on, on thing. Had so much backstory about Boston and crime. Really opened up my eyes to a lot more of what they had actually gone into to put this all together. And I love that. But they didn't have time to sort of add that all in and, you know, to set the setting for Boston and the theme. Which is a little bit of a shame, but um, overall, incredible. Love DiCaprio, love Scorsese, to be honest. So, I think I think I'd go for like a. It's gonna be a, a solid eight, maybe eight point five, eight point five. I only think I think people that should be eligible to vote have to have watched the film. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for me, funny enough, I'm gonna. Oh, my my view is a little bit synonymous with Ian's, actually. For some reason, it just didn't hit as hard as the first time I watched it. I can appreciate a lot of the shooting, the editing, the the story, the layers, etc., and things like that. But for some reason, in a weird way, and I don't know if it, again it was because it was one of those films where it hits hard. And maybe I almost kind of built it up too much in my head, where I was just like, "Oh, my The Departed, yes." I haven't seen this in ages and it was just like oh that was cool but you know like I just think it didn't hit as hard as it did the first time um, so what the fuck I, are you I, saying Anton <laughs> I'm going with I'm going with an 8.5 on this one as well so in our fifth episode The Departed my personal favourite storms into the top 10 top spot numero yes. uno I told you, shot to the face. To the face! A final score of 26. And that takes it above, oh no, 300. That's crap! Finally. I mean, what? That's crap! <laughs> You're an idiot. I mean, oh, Lord. you might want to count that up again, but... Oh, sure, I, I, I'll do a re- I'll do a recount anytime. I'll do, do it. No, if you want to feel the pain, it's a, it's a great film. The Departed reigns supreme with twenty six out of thirty, followed by three hundred with twenty five out of thirty, and Hot Fuzz trading behind at twenty four point five, Snatch at twenty three out of thirty, and the movie that shouldn't even be on this podcast shouldn't even be in our back catalogue. Superman returns at eight. <laughs> that's brilliant like a real score. every time I hear it, <laughs> does it, does it every time you oh lord you're so true yeah. I can't believe the part is on reading by one though that's nuts so before we make like Patrick and Swayze let's find out what our next movie is hopefully by now you know the drill we have labelled a bunch of mp3 sound bites from 1 to 40 and I ask Ian or Anton to pick a random number and we will reveal what movie it is by playing the clip and it's a surprise to both us and you, the listeners. So without further ado, Ian, please give me a random number 
to reveal what movie we're going to be reviewing next week. Five. Five. One, two, three, four, five. 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 One, two, three, four, five. We've got to do Raw or Delirious at some point. I plead the fifth. <laughs> is that I is that also think of is that you. also is that also Bill Cosby? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I can literally think of Dave Chappelle quotes for every single thing now. I can't stop. <laughs> right, number five. Let me press play. King Kong ain't got shit. Ain't got shit on this. Yes. <laughs> Finally, that's the one. Yeah. Is that not I, I the see, best? I see. I see. I see. Three hundred. I see three hundred going down another peg. You think it's happening? All right, it's, it's happening. Oh, it's happening. Not on Ian's watch, but yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love it to. It's probably twice the movie that three hundred is. Absolutely. Sorry, by the way, people. It's training day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't even, got so excited about it. Didn't even, didn't even actually say the the film title. That's it. Next week is Training Day, a, a wonderful film from 2001 starring Denzel Washington in an Oscar-winning performance. Uh, that about wraps up this week. Um, it just leaves me to thank my co-hosts. Uh, firstly, Anton. What's the matter, smartass? You don't know any fucking Shakespeare? And Ian. Tell Ma huh, that I won't be home for supper. Hmm? Bait. So bait. <laughs> I love the, that, that little mm idea was, was, was perfect. You'd be a great 1920s wise guy. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to uh, head. So, Ian, take it away. So, remember, folks, your futures haven't been written yet. No one's has. Your next picture is whatever you make it to make it a good one.